I'm Paola Radellis. And I'm Janice Lobo Sapigo. And this is. Can I, <laughs> <laughs> I think we should just keep this as Let's it. keep it. Let's keep it. But you can just read the just read the tagline. Okay. Just read the tagline. <laughs> Two pin eyes, one podcast, by puck politics, poems. <laughs> I can't. I don't know why it's so funny. <laughs> Pop culture. <laughs> you know what we do here. We're you not gonna edit that. Off. We're not gonna edit that. <laughs> Let's just keep it. Fuck it. We'll just keep it. There's no way. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. I don't know For why. For those of you who are listening, we like just had a fit of the giggles and we couldn't fucking stop to, and couldn't get our shit together for this intro. We This is our second time tr- attempting it already. because yes. And it's all because I had a typo in the intro and then I copy pasted into the chat and Janice always gives me shit about copy pasting into the chat. And then I give her shit back for me like, oh, it's useful. And it, today it fucked us up. So here we are. I just feel <laughs> like karma is a real thing. And I don't know why. I just thought, I just think it's so funny. I don't know. Um, and then I. That was one just, of those, those was, that was one of those laughing cry. Like, yeah. Crying laughing. <laughs> Definitely like cry laughing over here because mainly because you started laughing first. And then I was like. Oh, yeah, like, that is really funny. And I was trying to play it off. And so I'm also laughing at myself for trying to be very serious. Um, it's like when you're on stage and, you know, someone missed their line or they, like, forgot something. And you're just trying to, like, pick it up and <laughs> <laughs> uh, That was so great. Oh, I'm, re- I'm excited to listen to that over and over again later. <laughs> <laughs> What a, I mean, yeah, it's kind of nice that we get to start off this episode with some very hearty laughs. <laughs> yeah, I was not expecting that. How are not you doing? <laughs> oh, man, I feel like that's so great. Um, How am I doing? Um, Let's see. I would say it's like week two of still being tired and busy. Um, Paula, I don't know if you remember this, but I wrote a, a poem in college. I think, did we talk about this? I wrote a poem in college called For Busy Girls. Do you remember that? No, yes, maybe, maybe, yes. oh, okay. If you yeah. don't, it's okay. I do but I, that. no, 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 I do remember it. Oh, okay. I was like, why don't you remember? It? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Now I'm feeling like it's time for tired girls. That's how I feel. <laughs> um, what about you? Yeah. I'm feeling like good. Actually, I had a really good week. Like I finally am just like gaining some traction on like work after like I'm sure a lot of people have been feeling this this past year of just like just feeling like a lull or just like feeling like you're just kind of stuck in a rut in like many ways, including work. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I finally like not only got out of it, but I feel like I'm like, holy shit, like I'm going somewhere. And it's like, And I could tell because it's not just carrying over into my work, but this past week was like, oh my God, like I like got so much shit done. And again, not that my my worth is like, like, you know, measured by my productivity, but at the same time, it's like, 
I finally finished like my full name change. Um, you know, I got a divorce like over a year ago. Like mm-hmm. I finally cashed the bunch of checks that were just like sitting in like my car dashboard. Mm-hmm. I finally got my safety check for my car. Um, <sighs> I found golf clubs in the trash and sold them for like a hundred dollars. Like it was what? just like, <laughs> damn. Okay. <laughs> I and then like and then I went like swimming last week. I went into the ocean finally last weekend after like dealing with injuries and like it's like for sure hundred percent. I know how to swim now. Like I can swim and I know how to tread water now. And so like that's like kind of really cool because it's like okay, I'm not completely helpless if I yeah. like end up in a body of water. Yeah. So yeah, I know it's been like a really fucking good like week. Oh, I'm so happy for you. That's great. Oh. I didn't know that you didn't know how to swim and then I saw the photos and I was like oh that's so great that was definitely on my to-do list like before the pandemic happened like it was gonna be like summer 2020 I was planning on taking lessons and I had another friend um who was gonna do the same thing so that we could jump into Lake Michigan and Chicago together that was our goal but can't even go to Chicago so that's not happening um mm-hmm. but I that's so great plus to learn in an ocean is like super rare so I'm glad you did that oh that's true it's easier <laughs> because like yeah. the salt makes you more like buoyant but yes. yeah I had the exact same goal for 2020 I also wanted to learn how to swim and I was like looking up like lessons and like all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and um no, I, I got, like, kind of lucky. Like, I had, like, friends who taught me the treading, and then I briefly dated a guy who taught me how to swim. <laughs> so oh. I'm glad I got something out of that very brief, like, oh. dating-ish yeah. situation. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, I don't know. I think that's great. And dating is, like, you're just learning about yourself. So <laughs> I'm glad you did that. Learning new skills, too. <laughs> Yes. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, I think, do you want to talk about, like, what's going on this week? Should we start there? Yeah, there's quite a bit of news. And I think the first thing, like, I really wanted to talk about is the news that's started to become national news about Angelo Quinto. And, you know, at first, like, I, I think I heard about him a lot because I have a lot of friends like you who are in California, um, and especially, like, in the Bay Area. Um, and, you know, Angelo Quinto is Filipino, so there's just, like, also that. So it's just, like, so many Filipinos, like friends and family with were like posting about it but um yeah so basically it's just a story that um you know he was a filipino man um like right before christmas december 23rd um his sister like called the police because he was having some kind of like mental health um issue and so they called the police obviously hoping that they could like help and instead they um they killed him Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot, I, I think a lot of why it's like kind of gaining national news is because it's very similar to the killing of George Floyd. And I mean, just trigger warning for people who are just like listening, but, um, but yeah, like a, it was like these, one of these police officers, just like in the George Floyd murder, like pressed his knee, like into like his neck and, mm-hmm. um, did it for like, at least like in their thing, it's like about five minutes. And so, um, and you know i think right before he um yeah right before he passed like he said something like please don't kill me to the police officers and sure enough i mean he was murdered by the Mm -hmm. police yeah yeah this is definitely um on like 
community news in the Bay Area. And um, I, yeah, I think that like what's also coming up is like what the family can do. I know there's a lot of organizing that's like still happening. Um, And there's currently um, a petition to get this sort of like on the desk of the mayor of Antioch. Um, They had a a meeting this past week and they were calling for people to attend and do public comment. All the meetings are through Zoom. Um, I think I missed the public. I don't know if I told you this. Actually, yeah, I I went went to the meeting. I missed the public comment section. I was there um, right on time when someone like couldn't connect to Zoom and someone was on like perpetual mute. And it was just like, 10 minutes of all of these people on the council trying to figure out how to use Zoom, you know? And so I was like, wow, like this inefficiency, (laughs) this mediocrity, um, these are the people who are in charge of this city, um, you know? And so I I think for now, from what I've heard, the action is to tell as many people as possible. Um, It is to sign a petition. There's a petition on change.org. However, change.org does ask people to donate and that money doesn't go directly to the family. And in recent events, like change.org has also taken money that's been donated to these causes. So I don't think people recommend that. Um, but when I checked yesterday, the petition needed 5,000 signatures. And I think it was really close. It was still at like 4,000 something. So I'll put a link to the petition too, so that more people can sign it. And you don't have to live in Antioch or the Bay Area to be able to do it. Um, but I think like the community is trying to figure out a course of action and I know the family has hired a lawyer and so they're kind of just like, see, you know, mm-hmm. seeing what they can do at this point. Um, but yeah, I definitely didn't hear about this until really like it's community that has been, you know, been able to bring this to the attention of people to like Filipino American news media and then eventually national news. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that we will continue to talk about it in like future episodes too. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, these things like always take forever to just get kind of like push through the justice system, the quote unquote justice system. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll definitely keep talking about that. Um, I think the other thing um, we want to talk about is because this came up in last week's episode, which is an update on Texas. Unfortunately, like they're still without power there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are some areas of Texas that are still without power, still waiting. And then there are um, a lot of homes that have restored power. Um, And from what I remember, like the weather is like slowly changing and like warming things up. So that's kind of like what I've heard. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to also just like, I'm trying these days to follow up on news, right? Like that's been really difficult for me to do, but just to make sure to not go with the headline, because if we only go with the headlines, we only get like half the story. Um, so yeah, that's been on the news. And then, um, lying ass Senator Ted Cruz, his alibi that he took his friend (laughs) to Cancun because they wanted to is like such bullshit. Um, because Heidi Cruz, his wife. Um, her group chat of like 12 or more people. I don't know why that's considered a group chat. That's like a fucking classroom. Um, so her group chat outed her. And apparently, <laughs> like she was the main conductor. She was the main person who orchestrated um, like being really cold and wanting people to book hotel rooms with her at the Ritz Carlton in Cancun. 
So it's her. <laughs> that is definitely one article I'm glad I did not just read the headline for. <laughs> like I clicked it and I was like reading the text messages yeah. and like, and she's the hilarious thing. She's just never going to find out who the fuck leaked it unless they admit it. Cause there's 12 yeah. plus people on this group text. Yeah, I was like, Stupid. oh my god, yes, like, why would you even, that's not a group chat, there's no trust in a, in a group chat for, with, like, I don't know, with 12 people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just so much bullshit. And it's just, fu- oh, go ahead, go it's ahead. funny, like, how much, like, Ted Cruz, I mean, he's obviously, like, just so fucking annoyed, and, like, you know, like, right-wing media is just, like, oh, everyone's just, like, still focusing on this, because, like, people are just, like, mistrust, you know, like, the left, the, um, you know, the liberal media is just, like, Mrs. Trump, and, like, doesn't have Trump to talk about it anymore, so that's right, they're, like, targeting you, Ted Cruz, but, um, but I do think it's also important that we also make sure it doesn't distract us from the fa- fact that fucking Biden and Congress are, like, just pushing weak-ass COVID relief stuff. Yes. This fucking bill is this oh. Yes. Right. Like, um, I think from from what I've heard and read, President Biden definitely has power. He can issue an executive order to generate um like stimulus checks for people who are needing it around the country. Um, but he decided to push it off to Congress to deal with. And so now um a lot of the Democrats in Congress are pushing for a COVID relief bill that would issue another stimulus payment check. Um and, and that is also would attach to it like a, a fifteen out fifteen dollars an hour minimum wage. Um, that would become law, like federal law. Um, because currently federal minimum wage, can you believe this, is $7.25. Like that's what I made when I worked yep. my first job at a theme park, right? And that's still the case, like however many, that's like half yep. my life later. And so, um, you know, a lot of a lot of the pushback is like that they, they would like across um, both parties, they would definitely pass the bill if that was not attached. Um, but like, it's also a long time coming, you know? So it's just total bullshit. Nobody wants to pay working class people. Nobody wants to pay even like middle-class people like that. It just, it's just, it's such bullshit. It's such bullshit that that's what they're fighting over. Um, I don't know. Everyone's just passing the buck because everyone is worried about their own reelection, which is like, you all have the power now. Yep. Right? <laughs> like do it now. Yeah. <laughs> There's, like, a bunch of stuff that, like, our union was kind of really, like, trying to push in this bill, and we'll see what happens, but I think the most important thing we were kind of, like, really focused on, obviously, I mean, the stimulus checks, too, and continuing unemployment, like, are huge Mm -hmm. things, but, like, also, like, um, we really are, like, hoping, I don't think, I don't know, we'll see how it goes, um, is, like, 100% coverage of COBRA. Because it's like people are still unemployed and they're still gonna be long term unemployed and it's like yeah like there are there are options like Medicaid and like other like just state healthcare but Cobra like if Congress covered a hundred percent of Cobra then it's right. like yeah. people wouldn't have to pay like anything um, yeah. and the stories I was just hearing of people who have tried to apply for Cobra like we have like a bunch of for example airport workers here who lost their like employer healthcare coverage in June because they were permanently laid off and mm. so. Um, yeah, we have stories of folks who are like, 
over 100% of their unemployment check would have gone to COBRA if they, like, signed up for COBRA. And it's just, like, that's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Like, damn. Ugh. Cobra is so expensive. It is so expensive. I mean, it's like an option for people, right, who don't have health insurance or are not like fully employed. But then at the same time, right, it's so, and and, and I know this because my parents did it, right? It's just so fucking expensive. Mm. Like, what is the point of having this like public service available if it is not affordable? Um, and, and right. a lot of people are comparing the COVID relief bill that has yet to be passed to the Affordable Care Act under the Obama administration. And when Trump was mm-hmm. trying to repeal different facets of the Affordable Care Act, um, people were finding that they actually liked it and they actually needed it. And a lot of our politicians, mm-hmm. their constituents got used to it. So really, that's what we need people who are, you know, politicians elected to do. Like what we need them to do is like push people, right? Like it's time to really just like make a move. Yeah. And people will eventually see like, oh shit, this is better for all people, you know? So I I hope yep. your union gets that. I hope we all get it, you know? And like, Oh, help all get it. Jeez. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, <sighs> this is just a shitty week yeah. um, of just like getting shitty stuff from the Biden administration because it's like they're going to, he's, they didn't announce this week, they're going to bomb Syria. And yeah. then there's just like constant, like continuous, like news of like they're not closing these concentration camps on the border that they promised that they would like mm-hmm. close immediately as soon as they got into office and it's like why like why do, why do we sell children in cages and yeah ugh. um yeah. but yeah the bombing of syria is just like well what do you do like that fucking sucks like it's but it's also just not shocking like i was i was telling janice like right before recording this that like um i i think one of this is a like I think one of the most dangerous things about liberalism, um, including, which includes, like, yeah, these, like, our current Democratic Party and, like, Biden, like, most of the leaders in this Democratic Party is, like, they fully support and sanction state violence. So that's, like, everything from, like, police brutality, like, you know, just, like, what we're hearing with Angela Quinto and just so, so, so many victims of, Mm -hmm. um, like, police violence. Um, but then obviously wars and stuff that like the U.S. is constantly like starting and like militaristic attacks like outside of the U.S. Like it's all state violence and liberals are all freaking for it. And it's like what's scary about the rise of fascism is like they know that they know liberals are fully in support of like state violence. And yeah, even though liberals are probably not on the same like racist or sexist agenda that like fascists are, they're going to like really try to be like, well, this is our common ground we're for state mm-hmm. violence let's just kind of keep pushing forward with that yeah yeah Ugh. which is why they could never even fathom or imagine the idea of what it means to defund the police like they just that's not even in their imagination to think or to like even like organize or design you know um yeah it just makes the work even more important to do even under like a quote-unquote like liberal or progressive or democratic president right it's the same shit is what we are finding it really is (sighs) yeah (sighs) just a big exhale for everybody listening (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know like there's a lot there's a lot going on um you know and i also think like Paula and I are super excited to talk about the subject of our episode for today. Do you want to tell everyone who it is? 
Yes, so today we are talking about Janet Mock, and the reason why we chose her is, one, we just wanted to learn more about her. Like, I have heard her name before, and I have, like, read articles that she wrote. Like, she wrote this one in Pretty Privilege, <laughs> which yes. is, like, a whole other topic. But anyway, I've heard about her, I've read her, so she is from Hawaii, so that's, like, another reason why I've heard a lot about her, but I actually, at the same time, I was like, oh, I, I, there's still a lot more I want to learn. I actually never really, like read too much or like a first off or like learn too much about her yeah same when um paul and i were deciding the list of people whose astrology and charts we wanted to look at janet's name came up along with all of the people we've talked about right just like wanting to learn more about each person um and then i also wanted to include and i'll, I'll put it in our like show notes just like a list of trans and non-binary podcasters to listen to um, I think there's a list that just came out. So I just wanted to like share that in case folks were like also wanting to learn more about people who are trans, but not necessarily Janet Mock, because Janet Mock has kind of been made to be like the pioneer of what it means to be trans in the US. Um, and it's way more diverse than that. <laughs> so I just want to share a link. Yes. And she herself repeats that over and over again, right? And she's like, this is my story. This is yeah. not the story of like all trans women, like by yeah. any means. And so, yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, for those of you who don't know who she is, she is an American writer, television host, director, producer, and trans rights activist. Do you want to yeah. add more to? Like, yeah, she was up? the first transgender woman to write, produce, and direct an episode of TV in the history of Hollywood. Can you believe that? I'm just like so floored because that's not, not even that long ago, right? Um, and she currently writes for Pose, um, which is like about the New York uh, ballroom scene in like, what is it? Like the seven, no, 80s? Um, I love watching 80s, Pose. yeah. Okay, thank you. I was like, not 70s. Um, yes. So yeah, please watch Pose. It's also on Netflix. And we'll talk more about Netflix later on. Um, Janet is also a writer, started out as a writer, a memoir writer who wrote two books. One is called Redefining Realness. Um, and the other one is called Surpassing Certainty. Um, Janet is also a journalist. And so that's kind of like how she got her start. Yeah, I, 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 you know, on the point of just, like, her being the first trans woman to, like, write, produce, and direct an episode of TV, like, I was kind of actually floored by a number of, like, firsts um, for mm -hmm. her. Like, she was also apparently the first, she wrote the first book written by a trans person who transitioned as a young person. And I was just like, really? Um, but yes, her memoir, this is her first one, Redefining Realness, is, like, a New York Times bestseller. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, prior to that, like, she, as Jenna said, she got her start, like, she like right out of um, her master's program was like an editor for people magazine. And she's currently a contributing editor for Marie Claire. Um, so that's just kind of a little bit about who she is. Um, but yeah, let's just kind of jump into like her life. She, we do have a confirmed birth time Yay. for Janet Mock. So you all can like go ahead and look that up, but she was born on March 10th, 1983 at like nine o'clock AM in Honolulu. Boy, so as I said, she's from here. And uh, yeah, so we have a full chart for her. And she is um, just in time for Pisces season. She's a Pisces sun, Aquarius moon, and a Taurus rising. And, you know, I love, I'm a Taurus rising. We, just, we also did <laughs> Megan the Stallion's chart. And I'm also convinced she's a Taurus rising. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> Janet Mock is a Taurus rising. And 
I think it's so interesting that like realness and authenticity are like a big part of like who she is and her brand. Again, like her memoir is titled Redefining Realness. Mm -hmm. And I think her chart does exemplify that. So she's a Taurus rising and Taurus is a Venus ruled sign and her Venus is actually in the 12th house in Aries. Mm -hmm. And Venus is in detriment in Aries and her Venus is in the 12th house. Like both of those things can point to like marginalized identity. And mm. so to me, it's like really, and the 12th house is known as like the hidden house, but it, to me, it's just kind of really interesting that like, she's known not just for these identities, but like also kind of being really real and like true about them and like kind of bringing them out to the forefront versus like this concept of like, oh, these are like quote unquote marginalized like identities, right? Like she's like, um, yeah. And I think some of that is just like bolstered by the fact that like not only does she have her Venus in Aries, but she has Mars there too. And like Mars is like in domicile in Aries. Like that's like Mars is home. And so it's like a very, very strong Mars. And so like for her to just kind of really being able to just kind of like just be unapologetically like her, um, mm. that kind of really stood out to me with her chart. But we'll talk more about her chart and astrology as we go. Um, so yeah, she spent most of her early life in Hawaii, but she did spend some time in Oakland and Dallas. And she is, um, you know, from her mom's side, she's part Hawaiian, Asian, and Portuguese. Um, and then her dad is African American. Mm, so do you yeah. want to talk a little bit more about her early life? Yeah, I listened to um, an interview she did, or that Oprah did with her when Redefining Realness came out. So that's where some of the information about her early childhood came from. And then I also listened to this episode of, it's called In the Envelope, and the interviewer interviews like writers, actors, producers in Hollywood. And so I listened to the one with Janet. Um, and Janet said that she knew as early as ages three to four who she was. And that she identified as a little girl, but knew as a child that she presented as a boy. Um, and she gives numerous examples where she really believes that her parents were just doing the best they could at that time. Even if like a lot of what her parents didn't understand, usually didn't understand and they, it resulted in like some kind of punishment. Um, and so her parents like really seemed to reinforce gender roles. Um, and they just, they also say like that they, they kind of knew, but they just didn't know what to do. Um, and I, I think that really makes sense, like just for the time in which she grew up and was born. Um, and I think like, yeah, she's the oldest in the family is what I remember. And then she was reflecting on this one childhood yeah. instance where uh, I think like one of her uh, friends at the time dared her to try on a dress and it was like just a dress hanging on the line. And um I think like when Janet's sister found her with the dress on, like the, the dare was like run to a garbage can, touch it, wearing the dress and come back. And then in that time, that's when her sister caught her. Um, and then she was punished by her mom for wearing the dress, but not for like stealing the dress, you know, which then kind of goes to show how like um, even like the way that Janet identified and her gender was like punitive, you know? Um, and mm. yeah, I, Oh, sorry. We're going to say something. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought you were going to say something. Um, I also found out, and this is where I think Paula can speak more to um, these schools, but Janet um, said that for elementary school, um, she grew up in, in Kalihi and she went to Kalihi Kai. 
In middle school, she went to Kalakaua Intermediate School. And then high school, she went to Farrington. And so, yeah, Paula and I were talking about, like, Kalihi. And you also used to, like, live near there, right? Like, I visited you there. Yeah. Like Kalihi Valley. Yeah, I actually okay. lived really close to, yeah, in Kalihi Valley. So I was pretty close to Kalihi High Elementary School. Um, but Farrington and Kalakaua are, like, a little bit further um, but anyway, yeah, I, um, she grew up in Kalihi. I had no idea. I knew she, like, was from here, but I didn't know she was from Kalihi. Kalihi is known as, like, it's a very working class, like, immigrant community. Um, mostly Filipinos, um, which is the biggest ethnic group here in Hawaii now. But also, like, nowadays, it's, like, a growing number of, like, Micronesians as well. Um, these are basically all, like, immigrants and migrants. And, she um and yeah she went to Farrington and you know we we're talking in the SZA episode about high schools and yes. just how awful the public school system is here and um Farrington is unfortunately known as like one of those schools like I mm-hmm. have done multiple class presentations at this school and was just like just floored at how things are just constantly broken like little things like the water fountain is broken every single time I have to go to Farrington and I'm like trying to fill up my hydro flask before going in class and then sure enough like the water fountain's still broken and their theater like the roof had caved in like many years ago and it went unfixed for seven years and yet during that time they like fixed up the football field because this is that's the one thing this school is known for like is having a good football team and so like a lot of resources getting put into that versus Mm -hmm. the arts and um anyway yeah so that's (laughs) that's um that's Kalihi. That's the neighborhood Janet grew up in. And that's like the school she, it's the kind of school she went to. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, um, actually you wrote in the notes that like she began her transition in high school. And I, I found a little bit about like the story of how that happened. And so she said that she was elected a sophomore class treasurer. And she said she really likes student government. And I was in student government in high school. So I get it. I get like the, you know, you, you feel like you're really doing something. <laughs> um, and so at a, an assembly where they were announcing like the new cabinet, um, she said that she came out during that school assembly and she gave a speech and she was like, Hi, everyone. I'm Janet, and I am the sophomore class treasurer. Uh, And so uh, she also at the time met a woman named Wendy who was like a little older. Uh, I couldn't tell if it was like an upperclassman or something, but someone at the school who was older. And Wendy asked her straight up if she was Mahu. Um, And so uh, Janet was like, I don't, I don't oh my God, I don't know how to answer this. Um, And Wendy told her to like stop hiding herself. And then she did her eyebrows, (laughs) which Janet recalls as like one of the first times like feminine intimacy. And I just, I think that's so real, right? Like when do you start to really like see your body and realize like, oh, like I can change the way I look, you know? Um, I think that's a really pivotal moment in terms of like femininity. Mm. That is. It really, I, I think every woman just has some story, right, of just exploring that stuff, like, you know, like when we're kids, and especially like as we're teenagers, like I remember my first time getting my eyebrows done, like my mom wouldn't let me get them done, and so I finally like did it for the first time in college, and I just remember just like how pivotal, pivotal of a moment like that was mm. for me. 
Um, so I could only imagine how impactful that was for Janet, and especially to have it done by a woman who was telling her like to like not hide like your true self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like um, I'm still learning about what Mahu means, Paula. But I guess from what I've learned is that it's very much like a third gender in like Hawaiian culture. Um, and though sometimes though that phrase is used in a derogatory way, from what I've understood. And so I think that also yes. kind of explains why Janet was like, oh, shit, I don't know what to say. Um, but yeah, is that right? Am I like characterizing yes. that correctly? No, that, that, okay. no, no, that's absolutely right. And, you know, for those of you who just kind of want to learn more about Mahu, like there's actually a great like documentary on it. Mm. that um, It's called The Meaning. <laughs> you can actually look this look this up on PBS. It's like The Meaning of Mahu. And it will just kind of like kind of go into that. Um, but yeah, it is used as derogatory term. It is just a word that like folks are like, I don't even know if reclaiming is the right word because it's, it's a Hawaiian word. Like it's a, mm-hmm. and it is, it does represent like a third gender. It's been around like way before colonialism. And mm-hmm. so, and then it was, it's more like colonizers came in and co-opted that shit. They're the ones who like co-opted this. And so mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's just kind of like taking the word back to like what its original meaning and intent were mm-hmm. but anyway um so yeah um janet began her transition in high school and she was able to fund her full medical transition through sex work as a teenager and so she talks about this a lot in redefining realness as well as in a number of different like she did a six-part video series um on this topic but you know i'll read a quote from like the video series and she she says at 16 years old, I began trading sex for money. The money I earned, um, I used to pay for the vital medical care my family couldn't afford. This essay is not a confession. Neither is my book Redefining Realness. I do not believe that having engaged in the sex trades or being a former sex worker is a confessional matter. I do not believe using your body often marginalized people's only asset, especially in poor, low-income communities of color, to care after yourself is shameful. What I find shameful is a culture that exiles, stigmatizes, and criminalizes those engaged in underground economies like sex work as a means to move past struggle to survival. And so, um, yeah, that 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 is what she did to like fund her full medical transition, which she was able to undergo at age 18 in Thailand in the middle of her first year of college. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, from an astrology standpoint, yeah, age 18 says seventh house like Scorpio or seventh house year for us. And so her seventh house is in Scorpio, which would activate her like 12th house, like Mars and Aries. And so, and again, her Venus is there, right? And like, which rules her first house. And the first house is like our identity and it is our body and appearance. And mm. Mars, like, ha- you know, is oftentimes pointed as a planet that rules things like surgery. And so, um, mm. yeah, I think it like completely tracks that she like underwent this like at age 18. Um, for people in general, right? Age 18 is oftentimes a very like pivotal moment for like us when it comes to like our identities and like trying to figure out who we are. Mm. Uh, and so, um 
Yeah, and then um, she she chose her name Janet after Janet Jackson. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sure enough, she was born in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but you know, she says she named herself after Janet Jackson, but it was Beyonce who instilled strength in her as she watched the Bills, Bills, Bills. Oh my video. god! I love this. I love this, and also like to be like older than Beyonce, but for a younger black woman to empower you as an older black woman. Right? Right? Like, I just think that's so fucking beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so that was high school for her. Like, she um, she got her bachelor's in fashion merchandising from the University of Hawaii at Manoa in 2004. So um, she, she finished her bachelor's, like, at age 21, as many do, which is a um, 10th house perfection year for her that was, like, an Aquarius. And, um, and then it sounds like from just looking at the timeline, it looks like she went straight into a master's program and she got mm-hmm. like her MA in journalism in 2006 from New York university, which means, yeah, she, she like left Hawaii after just growing up there. Um, got that master's at age 23, which is like a 12th house Aries perfection year. And it's just like time and time again, we've shown many examples on this podcast of just like people still being able to do great things and accomplishing things in 12,000 years, even though 12,000 years, it gets such a bad rap. Mm. Um, Yeah. And then it was like from there, um, you know, as I said earlier, as soon as she graduated from NYU, she got her a job as a staff editor for People Magazine where she worked for five years. So that was kind of like her kind of this first big like post-college thing was um, working as an editor. Um, And then, um, yeah, I, so on May 18th, 2011, um, that's when she like came out publicly as a trans woman in a Marie Claire article that was written by, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Kierna Mayo, um, but in Janet Mock's voice. Hmm. And Janet Mock is very critical of this article, especially because it was titled, I was born a boy. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said in response to that, that you know I was always a girl mm-hmm. and the editor of that article is a woman named Leah Goldman who did tweet like her regret for running that title and she did acknowledge that both Janet and Kieran Mayo so the author um or the writer said that they they both they both expressed that they had an issue with that title but Leah Goldman yeah. the editor ran it anyway um and I believe that. I mean, as someone like who has like written freelance articles and I, I work some PR, like I know it's oftentimes the editor who just like does the title of these things. And wow. anyway, um, yeah, it, it, it's it, it, that was that year that Mary Clark, Marie Claire article came out was uh, she was 28 years old. And she was in a fifth house um, perfection year, which um, is where she has Virgo. And it's you know, fifth house years can represent things like creative projects. So in, mm. in a lot of ways, even though like th- this was a creative project, right? It's in this article. Um, mm-hmm. And it activated like her like 11th house, like Mercury and Pisces. And so um, again, with just like this idea of just a kind of the 11th house being like, um, I guess just kind of like the, the rewards of something like you were doing like in the 10th house, uh, just kind of just like very public um, thing. Um, and then I, yeah, and then, um, three years later, February 2014, this is when she published Redefining Realness, which got a lot of praise, including from Bell Hooks. And, 
you know, this, as we said earlier, it's a memoir. um, And it's, I still can't believe that it's like the very first book written by a trans person who transitioned as a young person. Mm -hmm. And um, she was 30 years old when Redefining Realness was published. And so age 30 is a seventh house Scorpio year, um, which activates like her 12th house in Aries. And it's just like, Oh, once again, it's just like another just like 12th house activation that just ended up being like kind of really, really huge, like for her, both like publicly as well as just like clear. I'm sure, you know, just like with her like own self that we won't like hear much about, you know, like on the news and just I'm sure it's kind of a really big deal for her. Anyway, do you want to kind of talk about like where she goes from here? Because I think you were kind of mentioning like, did you mention yeah i think that is what i was listening to it was a podcast version of it um but actually yeah okay i could i could do this <laughs> in april 2015 oprah invited mock to be a guest on super bowl sunday for a segment titled becoming your most authentic self um yes uh you know i really when i listened to it i listened to that i, I didn't know it was from 2015 um but there's a huge difference from that and then the one I listened to, which was recorded in, like, 2020. Um, and hmm. Janet just seems more like, I don't know, the only word I can think of is, like, free, you know? Like, Janet is much more free, like, freer to speak on her experiences. Janet is, like, seemed very serious in the Oprah interview, you know? And I think, like, for that interview plus the book to kind of be, like, this watershed of, like, um, this is who I am. It really, it opened the door for more trans stories. Um, and I just, I really like what you're saying earlier about how Janet always emphasizes, like, do not like tokenize me or my story. Like that definitely comes through. Um, yeah. Um, do you want to say what it was? That's, like for, oh, go, go yeah. Ahead. That's like really interesting. Your comparison between like t- the, this versus like 2020, because yeah. in, 2015 when she like spoke with Oprah um she was in an eighth house perfection year and her eighth house is in Sagittarius which means it activated her she has Jupiter in Sagittarius which is like that's Jupiter's home um Jupiter is very very strong there so like it is interesting on like one hand I could see like I I think yeah you're like this interview I think um or this segment really kind of bolstered her publicly even like more than she like already like was because you know it's fucking over and (laughs) so i think that speaks to the eighth house theme of like the eighth house represents like other people's like resources and so like to have someone like oprah kind of just really kind of like be that resource for her um Mm -hmm. i think really just shows the strength of her jupiter um but it's still an eighth house year and eighth house years are still like not fun and so it's that's why it's so interesting to me that you you felt like she just seemed more freer like in 2020 because 2020 um was um you know like it would have been a um if i recall i'm trying to see if i'm doing the math right 2020 should have been like a second house perfection year for her which is the opposite house of the eighth house and i feel like also i feel like we can have more agency around second house because like while mm. the eighth house is other people's resources the second house oh, is like shit. our own resources oh shit yeah oh yeah. shit yeah wow you know okay i love that that you pointed this out i think i also want to point out about the oprah interview is that oprah is like clearly learning like as an interviewee but also as a person is like really learning like listening to that was a little cringy just because it's from five years five six years ago right like shit changes 
And like Oprah just sounds like super turfy in it. Just like I can't help but say that. Like mm. just like super turfy by being like, oh, I didn't know that sexual orientation is different from gender. Oh, wow. We really need to have a conversation about gender. And it's like, yeah, Oprah. Like, yes, we do. So yeah, that's what I want to just like quickly say about that. And that could also explain a little bit of the eighth house stuff because it's like, shit like Oprah like is really like trying to using Janet's experience to like reflect on her own shit which is like kind of fucked up you know like that's not what people oh. are there. yeah yeah <laughs> I I know and it just you know that it, that makes me even just think of just like thinking back to just like Mahu and like Janet growing up here in Hawaii and it's like yeah even though like we have a history of like you know we're here in Hawaii and Mahu has existed and been a term for like so long but you know unfortunate colonization happened and so it's like um yeah like Hawaii definitely I mean just like any other place right there is just like a lot of like turfy shit and there just is a lot of this like lack of just understanding and this ignorance around like trans like what what being trans is what being trans Mm -hmm. means like who trans people are Mm -hmm. I I've even just seen it with like you know even just like our own staff we hired our very first trans or like um trans person like on our staff um in 2019 and we like and i i helped put this together but like we had to put together like a staff training on this Mm -hmm. and that and luckily we have a uh, we have a very open office environment and it's like fine but so it was so cringe at the same time i could just only imagine what that because it was a lot of that a lot over the way you're describing this like over interview right now was a lot of people just like and again, I think it was like people meant well, but it was just like also just like they were trying to just think about their own experiences yes. and they're just like not fucking getting it. And I feel I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we made that uncomfortable ass space happen because like now, like two years later, like I think it is just like it's getting better. And I think people are still fucking learning, though. But even just things and pronouns. Right. That was so like people. Oh, Anyway, I can yes. go on and on about that. But that's Same. but I bring yeah. all of this up because this is the environment Janet grew up in. Like mm-hmm. and um and this is like twenty what, thirty years later too, and it's like we're still kind of really struggling with this here in Hawaii as well as like mm-hmm. in other places. And so um yeah, that's why I kind of bring that that's what kind of it made me think. That's yeah, like, oh, man, I could only imagine. Yeah, what it's totally. still like for Janet. I, I, I kind of wonder if Janet does come home um or come back here. I don't know if she still has family out here, but like yeah, I could only imagine what it's like yeah for her here still yeah I wonder that too um she did say that like one time like her dad picked her up from the airport and like brought the whole ass family so I just wonder where that took place oh my god yeah here yeah (laughs) I also I think that's why it like it underscores like the importance of shows or show a show like pose I don't want to say shows like plural because I don't think I think it's the only like mainstream tv show that um has main characters who are trans right like so I yeah I don't I purposefully want to point out that I'm not pluralizing it because I don't think other people are doing this work um and so yeah I think it underscores Mm. the importance of pose and um yeah I don't know do you want me to read about it or do you want to read about it yeah, well, I, yeah, I think I think you should because I actually haven't seen Pose, but I definitely know what it's about, and like I do want to watch it. Um, but on your point on whether there's other shows out there, I, I, I'm, sh- 
there might be other ones, but the only one I could think of, it, and it's mm. also on Netflix, is because um, I, I just watched it, so it's fresh in my mind. Is Sensate has mm. a um, trans woman who plays a trans woman mm. <laughs> on the show, and um, and her being trans is a big part of like the storyline, and not in that cringy kind of way where they're just kind of like constantly trying to insert it, but like in a real fucking way that's like very very relevant to the plot and to that mm. character, but. That's the only one I can think <gasps> of. Right. Ooh, now I'm thinking of um, Euphoria has a trans character. Um, and then there was a, a, a Babysitter's Club episode. Do you remember that? Um, when Mary, I think it's Marianne who's babysitting a little girl. And then the oh, doctor. Oh, yes, yes. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. There's also a documentary. Someone told me to watch it. I forget who. I think I was at a protest and someone's like, watch this documentary. And then I did. And it's about um, Laverne Cox, who was talking about the history of Hollywood and the different shows that have had um, like guest features with trans characters and trans actors. Um, more trans characters than trans actors was one of the issues it brought up. And then it also brought up how like trans characters are often seen as like the comedic relief in the stories. And so they're not seen as like fully humanized people. Um, and then one of our friends a long time ago, uh, we watched together uh, a short film. I think it was called Tangerine. Um, it's on Netflix or it was on Netflix and it featured like um, trans women sex workers and um, it was listed as a comedy on Netflix, but it was not funny, right? It was more serious. It was more like a drama. Um, and so like, you know, I think even that, like just trying to, and I, I just feel like that's a very like cis way of telling a trans person's story is like, let's see it as humor, which is also like super dehumanizing. Um let me, I'm going to find out the name of the doctor. And it's like, you could tell that people will, yeah, I bet, and I, I, I'll, I'm sure a lot of these fucking cis people do it as, like, they do the comedy relief to, like, get, like, to ignore their own uncomfortability. You're right. right? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Ooh, it's called Disclosure. Um, the That's a documentary. And mm. it's on YouTube. It looks like it's on YouTube. Oh. It was made by Netflix. Oh, it's on Netflix. Cool. Right? Yeah. So, that's, yes. that's. Yeah, thank you for pointing out that yes, there are other, <laughs> there are other shows. Um, yeah, and I did watch Pose. Pose is but what? yes, but not to, and I I bring it up. No, oh yeah. Oh sorry. <laughs> Go I, ahead. We were talking over each other. Um. Yeah, and I bring it. I bring it up not to like also like overshadow the importance of Pose because I think it is absolutely significant that like this, um, that Jenna Mock is the first trans woman of color hired as a writer for a t writer for a TV series in history, like, Jesus Christ. Right? Oh, in 2018. Um, like, in our lifetimes, which is, yeah. like, for anyone listening to this, right, this is, like, a time we have lived through and that we are consciously living through, right? Like, so fucking late, so delayed. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to but talk anyway, about post? Go yeah please because i haven't actually seen it i just i love it for the fashion i love it for the music and the dancing and for billy porter and mj rodriguez um uh, i actually i i didn't know about their their work as actors and um oh sorry a big bug just came by <laughs> and um musical theater <laughs> artists um but it's just a really beautiful story um it's also heartbreaking really complex like 
just gives all the feels. I don't want to like give away too many spoilers. Um, but it's just like a, the about like the the beauty of like chosen family. Um, intersected with like the ballroom scene intersected with this the social political climate at the time and the public health crisis of aids like all of this like intertwined together and what it means to to grow up um and to be trans in new york city just like i don't know it's just such a beautiful story um a lot of sadnesses along the way as well so yeah i definitely recommend people watch it um it's just beautiful the the storytelling is beautiful. Mm, I really should watch that. <laughs> I think you would really I, like it. Um, and we can talk. Yeah, about it's, it. it does. <sighs> yeah, sounds good. I will check it out. Um, I I think it's so. Sh- Janet was thirty five years old when Pose premiered, and so that would have again been this twelfth house Aries year for her. And I think it's just fucking fascinating that she gets um, so many big things happen for her during her Mars world years. So just to recap, like she got her master's from NYU during her last 12, her previous 12th house year. And then she published Redefining Realness uh, during another Mars world year. But that one was her seventh house Scorpio. And so, again, she has a strong Mars like it's in Aries. And so um, and it is in the 12th house. And I, I just kind of love that, like the 12th house gets a lot of like flack and like you know they're considered not good years the 12th house itself is again just like kind of viewed as a negative thing and not to like downplay that because it absolutely can be that way but i do believe like with astrology like we can find ways to kind of really like channel that energy into just like another meaning of that house and the fact that like the 12th house also tends to represent like communities that are like marginalized um like i i don't know if janet knows anything about astrology but if she does it it's just kind of really fucking awesome that she has somehow managed to just kind of really channel that 12th house to really like just fucking serve her, you know, and just like really like just taking ownership of it. So it's really cool. Yeah. 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 And then, um, you know, just on, just to continue on the pose, like on June 19th, 2019, she signed a three-year deal with Netflix that gave them, that gives them exclusive rights to pose, which makes her the, again, is another first, Makes her the first openly trans woman of color to secure a deal with a major content company. So, wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. She also directed a show that's on uh, a series that's on Netflix right now called Hollywood. And it seems like it's like an interview with like some of Hollywood's biggest names and actors. So um, it's on my queue. I haven't watched it yet, but it's on my queue. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I have not watched that either. Um, she, like, she signed this deal with Netflix, um, obviously the following year after Pose premiered. And so this would have been, like, a, she was 36. So this would have been a first house Taurus year for her. And that's really exciting. I'm, like, super excited for her because first house years do tend to be, like, I can think of the beginning of a new, like, 12-year cycle. And so... For her to like, it's it it is really kind of crazy to think like she began her last like first house year, so that last twelve year cycle. Having she just was graduated for NYU already, she was like working for People Magazine as an editor, and um, obviously these past twelve years for her have been like you know she that Marie Claire article came out, and then she wrote Redefining Realness, and that got huge, and she like kind of really built things up for herself. So 
to now see her like beginning this next 12 years phase of like shit she has a fucking deal with netflix and like has pose going on and it's just like wow like this i i really think we're only just seeing the beginning um mm. for janet mock like i think this is gonna be a big um next 12 years for her yes i'm so excited i'm excited for more years with janet mock in them <laughs> um i also learned that she is like currently trying to write a novel um she mentioned wow. that like during this time of like covid that um she's had less time on sets which is really great for her because then she doesn't always have to like check in on people and that it's given her more time to write and that she pitched an idea to her agent to write this book and like finally has the time so i'm excited to see what's gonna come up <laughs> mm. yeah i i am excited and you know she really is already just starting to um i i think she's just one of many who is like is really kind of bring like bringing up like this trans um activism and just mm -hmm. like you know and the experiences of trans people like out into the spotlight like mm -hmm. um i you know we, we did a previous episode on megan the stallion and i just like can't believe i like i forgot to mention that megan the stallion is also a judge on the reality tv show legendary which is on hbo and that's a reality tv show with contestants that are um for doing ballroom Oh. and it's like holy shit like i don't know if you, you know when you're in ethnic studies when we we're ethnic studies majors did you ever have to watch the documentary paris is burning i don't remember it so probably not in any of the classes i, <laughs> I must have seen it like three freaking times or something uh, in different classes but uh -huh. it was a really good documentary that's it's older but it was about the ballroom scene that's the only reason why i know ballroom even is what ballroom even is hmm. and I think so many people out there still don't really know what it is, but I think it's like more and more people are learning about it um, because of Pose and because of Janet Moth. But now, yeah, there's a reality TV show on it now. And I will say, I mean, I, I think it's good. Like, I like it. Um, it is not without controversy, though, because there is a house on Ballroom that has like, um, it's all cishet women on it oh. and i don't even know quite know if they any of them are like identify as lgbtq or queer or <laughs> yeah um, anyway that i thought that's yeah I, I, I but anyway legendary <laughs> the fact that like a reality tv show even exists like for ballroom is just like holy shit and yeah stallions a judge on it yeah you know um i was watching an old episode of america's next top model i don't know why i i shouldn't but it's trash <laughs> Um, there's, oh. one, there's one segment where um, I think it was like the house of ninja of like where Benny ninja is like the house mother who um, was like doing a challenge with all of the models and it was on how to pose and so they had these like ballroom dancers come in and show these like of course like cishet models like how to do it and um, they were you know treated as like ornaments like the the dancers were treated as ornaments in this episode like merely like as, as hype hype people but not the center you know and i think that's very much how like america sees um ballroom dancers sees the trans community you know um and i if i remember yeah. correctly one of those um dancers i believe is on pose like if I just remember correctly, so I just oh. I just want to say that right. Like it's so crazy because that episode or that season was based in New York, and so I was like, oh shit! Like this community is small. These are the same actors who are also dancers who are also singers, right? Like, 
um, the community is small. And yeah. so, yeah, like, I don't know. I don't know why I brought that up. Uh, maybe just wanted to like talk about all of that at once. Well, um, oh, go ahead. Well, House, House, of Nin- House, House of Ninja is on Legendary. Oh, shit. I didn't know oh, that. Man. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's the house. That's the house. So House of Ninja, it's all oh. cis, cis women. Oh, wait. Yeah. What? Wait, but the people I saw, it, so it could be like new members. You know, that could be another thing. Um, that could be it. Or maybe, yeah, or maybe it's another House of Ninja. Ooh, I, I would be so mad uh, if they just fucking stole the name. You know what I mean? Like, that would be another thing. Because then, if, what, I don't know. We're gonna, we're gonna explore. Wait, shit, hold on. Now, now, I know. Maybe this is too much to dive into. Like, what? <laughs> maybe I have the research on this a little more. But now I'm, like, reading about it. But no, House of Ninja is a ballroom house that was created in 1982 by Willie Ninja, known as the godfather of Vogue, um, with Sandy Apollonia Ninja. And they chose the surname Ninja because they had a passion for Asian and martial arts culture. Um, anyway, so yes, House of Ninja. This is the same House of Ninja. I guess it, it is just has evolved to a point where it's like, yeah, the House of yeah. Ninja that did appear on Legendary was all like cis women. But Whoa. yes, no, its roots are definitely in the like ballroom. Yeah. So, um, Got it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Damn, how funny. Like, I love that when you're like talking about the same thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but you don't know. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh my god but yeah sure enough yeah willy ninja was in the docu that documentary i was mentioning mentioning like paris is burning anyway yes. okay. and, yes. and <laughs> willy ninja is a gay man but he is known um he he was known for like i guess founding like voguing <laughs> yeah and he passed it to benny ninja which oh. is who i saw on america's next top model so okay that. Got it. Okay. Yeah. We're, uh, we're making <laughs> all these connections. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, oh my gosh. Okay. I did find a, a short poem to read that was related to this. Can I get to that? Yes, please. Okay. I put the link in our notes. Um, this poem is called Poem Where I Refuse to Talk About. And that's written by a poet named Zandria Phillips, whose poems I've like have been like circulating a lot, like just in my like, I don't know, constellation of poetry. Um, Zandria Phillips is a writer, educator and abstract artist from rural Ohio. And um, so they're a writer and they're a visual artist and their paintings have been published in like numerous publications. Um, And yeah, I'm just going to like read the poem. So let me find where I put it. Okay, so, oh, also, Zandria Phillips run, went, won, I think, the 2020 Lambda Literary Award for Transgender Poetry, um, which also, like, that's, that celebration happened over Zoom and YouTube. So, yeah, I just, I don't know why I wanted to say that. Okay, so this poem um, is published in Crazy Horse, poem where I refuse to talk about. I'm eight, wearing a frumpy, bunched-up dress with stockings. I put runs in that same morning while rushing to pull them up after peeing and flattening my midweek temple frizz. The cool girls in their jeans, the angel devil tees, are having a laugh at my existence. They are white and built like miniature bird-chested women. On asphalt, my low heels clacking like principal feet. 
another unspoken, more bent. I want the sweat of boyhood, its ease and virtue on my neck. I want my cunning known because I am the softest I can ever be in this moment when I don't rough my mutt hands on their throats for making terrible light of the second hand, the subhuman, the audacity of it, my survival, lower than lint. Instead, I talk to grass, but a sapling myself. I am made every day like a bed, like a person that makes another and nothing ever asks to be made. Um, I chose this poem because I think it definitely relates to what we're talking about with Janet Mock and just like how like clothes kind of like makeup identity or like clothes reflect or express our identities. Um, and the poem talks about like the details of dressing up and it's like when you put on your clothes, you're also kind of like, are you putting on your gender at the same time? Um, and you know, like, uh, the, the speaker in the poem has like a lack of gender affirming clothing as one of the ways to express themselves. Like uh, when they say, I want the sweat of boyhood, it's eased in virtue on my neck. Um, right. And it's not necessarily boyhood that's desired more than it's just like comfort, like being in one's own body. Um, and then the last few lines, I am made every day like a bed. What? Like, can we just like sit on that? <laughs> like sit on that simply for a little bit. Um, I am like a bed like a person makes another and nothing ever asked to be made, which like to me is, is about how like there's order and constriction in the poem. There's like this weird cleanliness of like wearing a dress or like bunched up dress with tights and heels, you know, and at the same time being teased and made fun of by these like white girls, right? White girls make everything worse sometimes, like <laughs> depending on the situation. And you know, like there's just like this misfitting God. of like, they're making fun of me, but I'm not this. So it's like, what are you really doing? You know? Um, so I just really, I really like that the poem is like naming something, but is also just not necessarily talking about something. Um, in this case, like identity, identity, gender. I said identity. I put identity and gender together, but maybe that's what we need to call it. Identity. <laughs> identity. <laughs> um, but yeah. That's just like my quick points about the poem. I hope people look into more of Zandria Phillips's work because I think it's fucking beautiful. Thanks for sharing it. And I do really like this poem. And even just from like an astrology perspective, it just like makes me think a lot about how like the first house in astrology is like the only like house in our whole charts so that's like 100% us. And it represents like our identities. It also represents our appearance. So just like how we express those identities outward. And and then it, it's interesting to me though that the opposite house of the first house is the seventh house, which represents other people. And just like the inevitability of just like how our expressions are going to be shaped by like the people around us, like for better or worse, whether it's like bully white girls or, you know, the yeah. people who are like closest to us, like um Janet's friend, um, who, you know, like asked if she was not oh, yeah. did her eyebrows, you know? Like yes. it's just kind of like um it, it is just yeah, just that interplay of just like, yeah, there are things like who we are at the core and just like our express how we express that outwardly, but there's just also this inevitability of just like how that's shaped by other people, by how other people perceive us, by society, like, huh? Oh, wow. Thanks for bringing that up, pal. I'm going to be thinking about that now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's a good poem. And I do really like those last lines. Me I am too. made every day like a bed. Yes. Huh. <laughs> I want to look into, like, their chart now. 
Um, I wanted to shout out. Oh, sorry. Were you gonna say something? No, I, I have. You go first because I can't. Okay. Right now. <laughs> um, this kind of goes in step with what we were talking about with the justice for Angelo Quinto. Um, there is a new um, non-police hotline for mental health or substance abuse that came up in the Bay Area. Um, mainly for like Alameda County, Oakland. Um, so for any folks who are wanting to know what that is, instead of like using 911, because 911 is calling state violence. Um, so this uh, phone number is 510-999-9MH1. So like mental health first is what I'm guessing. So four nines MH1. So I'll put a link to that too, so that folks can kind of like save that. But I just think it's beautiful. This is an all volunteer run um, uh, telephone hotline. And then they can send like um, folks who specialize in mental health crises to like come out so that, you know, it's just like one other solution to like what communities can do and create for themselves. So shout out to that. I love that. Yes, shout out to com- people and communities and resources that are alternatives to state violence. Here for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. Oh, man. Shout out to podcasts. Like, I am just so happy about just like all like this podcast as well as just like all the podcasts over the past few years that have like been a resource for me, whether it's just like learning about astrology, learning about like communications, which has kind of been helping my work a lot lately. So that's kind of top of mind for me. It's just like how much other podcasts have been just kind of really helping me with just like my own professional and personal development. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wanted to shout out um, this short film that just came out. One of my good friends, uh, she's a film director, Nigella Moomin. Uh, she got this um, huge grant or opportunity from Netflix to produce a short film, and it's called Black Prom, um, and and it's like set in like today, like these days, and I just think it's so beautiful because it also comes from a poem that she read and that I've like read and like it's just so great, and I'm just so happy for her. So yeah, it's just about like a black girl whose dreams of going to prom are like disrupted. Um, and that's what I want to say about it. But yeah, it's on YouTube. It's free. You don't need a Netflix account. <laughs> you don't need to borrow one. But yeah, let, like please watch like Black Prom by Nigella Moomin. So beautiful. It's eight minutes long. So I'll link it. Ooh. Love it. Man, I am short on shout outs today. Some of them <laughs> might just be because I'm tired. Because yeah. I was slept at like 2 a.m last night but oh yes yes oh i know pal shout out to like staying up at 2 (laughs) a.m yes shout outs to good conversations that keep you up at 2 a.m yeah (laughs) yeah i think those are all of my shout anything else now that might be it um yeah i guess that's it oh Sorry, one more thing. I'm noticing, maybe you're seeing this on Twitter too. A lot of people are announcing like where they got into school, like whether they got into like a PhD program or an MFA program. And I just think that's really fucking beautiful. And a lot of it is like, you know, people of color who are getting into these programs and spaces that 
fully funded in some instances. And so, you know, I know pe- not all people want to or can go to school, but I just wanted to shout out, like, I really appreciate the onslaught of like <laughs> celebrations because we can't do that in person. So it makes sense that it's happening on Twitter. So shout out to everyone. I hope your program respects you as a human. Maybe one last shout out I have is just like shout out to the people out there who are still like protesting um, despite COVID because it's just necessary. Like we had a really good rally that we did with um like 16 other like like community organizations here like at the Capitol. And it was like mostly around just like how fucked up the unemployment system is here mm-hmm. still like. Um, we had speakers, um, this is like not like the minority or anything, but like, like, yeah, we had speakers who have, have pending claims have been pending since like September or even like July. And it's just like, oh my fucking God, like those people's livelihoods. And yeah. it's like, there's not really much options for people um, to make income, to, you know, yeah, to like put food on the table and just like sustain themselves. And so like one late unemployment like check can really just like do anyone under. It's really kind of shitty. Um, yeah. And it just sucks because like, yeah, like we're out there protesting because we just have no fucking choice at this point. Like calling the unemployment office, like some people have said they called the employment office over 200 times in a day and like didn't get an answer. Oh my and it's just like God. when you're literally going like that unheard, it's just like, we, we, we have to do it. We have to fucking yeah. do it. Yeah. <gasps> Damn. I'm so glad that y'all are there organizing them. And like, you know, I saw the video footage. I was like, damn, like this is really out here happening. And, you know, like people could be working, right? People would be working if they were able to. So, damn. Yeah. Yep. Shut up. Well. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <Paul>. <laughs> I think that is. Thanks, Janice. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye.